0: Well, I'm going to talk to you about the Church of Laodicea today, which is the last church mentioned in Revelation, the seven churches. Probably that church, everybody knows more about that church than any church. If you've been a Christian for very long, uh, <clears throat> it's known as a lukewarm church, right? So you kind of know about that, probably. If you don't, you're going to know. Yeah, come on, Lord help. So, in <clears throat> seven churches... Jesus came to each one of them, revealed himself in a a unique way, uh, in the way that he wanted them to know and what they needed from the Lord to really overcome their issues or to be able to stand in the situation uh, that they were in. There were two of the churches that Jesus never brought any kind of admonishment to, but this one he really admonished very hard. I think though, when I think about all the churches, the church at Ephesus, I feel like got the most most stern admonishment, uh, you know, and that was a, an amazing church. But this is what Jesus said: if you don't if you don't get this right, I'm going to take the candlestick away from you. That's what He said. In other words, you will stop being a church. I mean, that's pretty pretty stern word. Uh, so. Even though this sounds kind of stern, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. <laughs> that kind of sounds rough, right? Yeah. Nowhere near as stern as, we're, you're, you know, this is over. So let me read verse 14 and, uh, and make some comments here. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Isn't that beautiful? The be- beginning of the creation of God. Um, meaning he's, he's the creator. He's the origin of creation. Amen. Well, this church actually was mentioned by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Colossians in, in Colossians 4. I think it was the only church besides Ephesus that really kind of got a, a mention. Um, and it actually tells us that they met in a house. This is a, uh, in a person called Nephys. Nephys. That was the house they met in, Is this person. And there was another guy named Archippus, seems to have been the leader of this church, uh, and Paul actually encouraged the, the uh, Colossians to share the letter with the church of Laodicea, and apparently Paul had written a, a, ch- a letter to the church of Laodicea and told them to share their letter with the Colossian church. So we don't have uh, Paul's church to, to Laodicea, but we do have Jesus's. Amen. Yeah. And so I just thought that was interesting. Uh, let me just read here a little paragraph about the, the background of this church. Uh, Laodicea was one of the wealthiest places in that part of the world. It derived its success from three main industries, banking, including a gold exchange, textiles, including a unique black wool, and a renowned medical school which produced an innovative salve made from stone powder. It was a hub of commercial, financial, and medical activity on a very profitable trade route. However, Laodicea did have problems with its water supply. The water was piped in by aqueduct miles and miles away. And by the time the water got there to them, it was, uh, it was actually very lukewarm water. Very, it was nasty. It was tippy, they, You couldn't drink it. Uh, so that was one of the reasons Jesus uses these. When he talks about being lukewarm, they knew exactly what he was talking about because they, they couldn't drink the water that they had. Um, the church appeared to be numerically and financially healthy and self-sufficient. In fact, it comes out of their own mouth, all these things. But with respect to the kingdom of God and their spirituality, it was what Jesus said was wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. That was his estimation of this church. That's pretty pretty strong. So the Lord did come to them as a faithful witness and creator, and told them the truth about themselves, and gave them answers for their terrible condition they were in. In the Lord good? so we would like the Lord to come to us when we're deceived about ourselves, which is easy for us to do. Verse fifteen it says, "I know your works that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish I could wish you were." cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither hot or, or cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Those are some really powerful verses. And, well, I think what I have believed about these verses for a long time, early on in my Christian life, up until some recent years, I was wrong about what I felt he meant. Um, and I think you know, I've heard many messages and I felt like they were wrong, looking back. Um, sincere, since you know, you can be sincere, but sincerely wrong, right? Yeah. In fact, there's nothing wrong with being wrong, you know, right? Don't, <laughs> don't you all hope next year at this time you look back on things you thought or said and thought, well, that's not exactly right because you've grown in the Lord and the Lord's given you more revelation. Well, that's kind of how I try to live my life. I want to be teachable and learn. But I, I thought this verse sort of went like this. This is what I thought it meant for such a long time. I wish you were more passionate for me, which would be hot, or spiritually cold. But instead, you're somewhere in the middle. And because you're neither on fire for me or or spiritually cold, I'm just not happy with you. That's, that's what I thought it meant. But it does not mean that. If you take a deeper dive into this, he is, it has nothing to do with those things in the sense of that's what the Lord's really looking for in people. Okay, he admires those things. So, um, really what Jesus is really trying to talk to these people about is about a mixture that they had. A mixture, and this is not the first church he questioned about mixture. He actually questioned the church at Thyatira and the church at Paragamas, they had mixture their mixture was a little different. Their mixture was doctrines of, of the Nicolaitans and doctrines of, of of Balaam, which ultimately those doctrines will and, and Jezebel, ultimately those doctrines that they were mixing into the church would drive people away from the Lord completely, and they would lose it. But this is a little bit of a different mixture he's talking about here. He's not talking about something that would completely drive us away from God, but ultimately it will. Are you interested in this? You should be. Yes. So what does it mean to be cold? That's the first thing that I think we need to really address here is understand what Jesus meant to by be cold. And so here's what to be cold means in the New Testament. To be cold is to live under the law. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? To be cold is to live under the law. For us, we're not talking about uh, Hebrew. You know, all the Hebrew laws. Uh, we wouldn't necessarily think that way. But for us, law is about what I do for God, not what God does for me. Law is about my performance, not Jesus's performance. Law is about me doing things for God's love, acceptance, and approval. Rather than doing things from God's love, acceptance, and approval. Did you catch that? One you're doing it for. The other you're doing it from. Are you, are you with me? Okay. And there's nothing more, nothing colder than a heart that has literally has all the life squeezed out of it. But trying to live up to pleasing God by what we do. It will destroy your passion for the Lord. It will make you cold. Think about the uh, Pharisees. They were some of the most cold-hearted people in Jesus, in Jesus' day. They were some of the most cold-hearted people that walked the earth. And so that's what the Lord's coming to these people. Now, it's interesting that he said, uh, why, I would wish that you would be cold. Does that not kind of make you wonder? Think about it. Have you thought? That's, that's what really clued me in that Jesus is not talking about. You know our passion, our spiritual passion, or lack of spiritual passion. It's when he said to these people, "Listen, I'd rather for you to be cold than lukewarm." Does that? That's a really. So why does he say that? I'm glad you ask. <laughs> because the cold law reveals our need for the grace of God. Do you hear me? What I'm saying? The law reveals. In fact, the law is what the law was designed for. If you read Romans three nineteen. This is what Paul says the law is. The law is the ministry of condemnation. That's what he calls it. It produces death because no one can keep the law, no one can satisfy God, no one can live up to the things that the law requires. God designed the law to bring us to the end of ourselves and reveal to us the need of his grace. Isn't that powerful? Paul says, all because of the law, all were considered guilty before God. All, all humanity is considered guilty. That's, that's why he wanted us to be cold. Uh, here's a statement someone made. I wrote it down a, a long time ago. The merciless mirror of God's law reveals our shortcomings, nakedness, and shame and condemns us as sinners in need of grace. That's what the law does. Uh, Galatians 3.24, this is what Paul said about the law. He said, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. That is why Jesus wanted people to either be cold or hot. Because if you're cold, you're going to come to a place where you realize that you cannot live up to the demands of God And it's going to cause you to come to the end of yourself, the end of your striving, the end of all what you're doing. And it's meant to lead you to Christ. That's powerful, isn't it? That's what the law does. Now, I just love all that. What does it mean to be hot? I'm glad you asked me that also. (laughs) Okay. I think the Lord wants us to be hot. Okay. But for years, I thought hot had something to do with what I did. I had to be zealous in my faith. I had to be on fire for God. I had to be the best worshiper in the room. I had to be dedicated to the scriptures. I had to be the best giver. I had to be the the guy who cleaned up the toilets. Whatever it took, I had to be zealous. I had to go after those things. And every one of those things are amazing things. And God really wants us to pursue those things. He wants us to pursue a life in the Word. He wants to, us to serve and to give and, and, and sacrifice ourselves. Absolutely. But it's not. It's how you do that. The source of how you do that. And there's a big difference between me doing that and Christ in me. The Bible calls it abiding in the vine. And drawing on the life of Christ. See, all those things would be like fruit. I used to read in John 15 years, for many years, this is how I read it. If you produce fruit. I would read that word, if you produce fruit. So in my mind, I had to produce the fruit. I had to be the guy who did that. But one day I happened to be paying attention when I read that verse and realized it it said nothing about produce. It said everything about bearing fruit. Big difference. God wants us to bear these things, but he doesn't want us to create these things. The Holy Spirit's the one. Are y'all getting this? This this will change your life. This will shift everything for you. It will shift everything for you. I would not be standing up here today if I didn't get that years ago because I was done with everything. Pretty much that had to do with being a pastor or anything else because there was so much of it done that I felt I was trying to carry so much of it myself and not allowing the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of grace, the Spirit of truth to work in me. God works in us to will and to do His good pleasure and learning how to allow that, learning how to allow the grace of God to do what only it can do. I think this is pretty good myself. So the key to being passionate for the Lord is abiding in Christ. Living in His grace. Living in His grace is knowing and enjoying being loved, accepted, and approved by God. That's what it is. It's it's simply that. If you can live at that place, your life will radically change. That you're approved, loved, you're accepted. You're in. You don't have to struggle to get in. God has brought you in. I remember Watchman Nee talked about a lot of Christians in a normal Christian life, is they're trying to get into a room they're already in. We're trying to get into something that God's already accomplished for us. And so we spend our life, it's like the people at the, at the wall in Jerusalem today banging their heads, praying for a Messiah that has already come. You know, it's a useless a, a It's a useless effort. It's a useless effort. Because God's already accomplished these things in Christ. Are y'all happy or not? Living in grace, listen to this, means your identity and significance comes from your relationship with God, not what you do, not what you have. Not what you look like, not who your mom and daddy was, not who your uncle was, not who, who your church is, none of that. That's zero to do that. Your identity, your significance, your belonging all comes from the grace of God and the love of God. And you could be the best looking person in the world, but that is not gonna give you the ultimate thing that God wants you to have. He wants you to walk in. Because there's some, you know, pretty nice looking people in this room. Me being one of them, right? (laughs) Just messing with you. I wish I was. Listen, living in grace means God does something for me. Okay? It's not that the will of God is not done. The will of God is done. It's just who does it. Is Christ in you doing it through you where you have surrendered yourself and you have allowed his mind to come forth and you have allowed his desires to come forth in you? Y'all should be literally happy about this. God does it in and through us. We bear the fruit of God's will and bear the fruit of God's work, but he's the one who produces it. Now when, now listen, you can agree with everything I'm saying. I know this to be a fact, but if, God doesn't, if you don't get a revelation on this, it's not going to change your life. It's just more in good information and you're just going to be frustrated more. That's really what's going to happen to you. Because I knew this for years by hearing it. But one day God spoke it to my heart. And most people come to this revelation when they, what Paul said back there in Romans 3. is when you are so broken in your life and you have come to the bottom, you have come to failure. And that's where God shows up. And God will allow you to strive and push and push and drive and bang your head till you're bloody. And when you finally give up, he'll say, great, I've been waiting on this day all your life. I've been waiting on the day when you realize you can't do this. But when you realize that for truth, your life will shift. I think I've told this story many times. I can remember driving up to this church and seeing this building on my back. And I told the Lord that I just can't do it no more, Lord. I was just so broken. I was just at the end. And that was a great day. But I saw this little door with a little crack on it with light coming in. And I decided I'm going through that door. That's what I decided. I'm going through that. I didn't really understand that door. I just said, there's light behind there. I'm living in some darkness. And I kicked that door open because it was cracked. You know, and that's the way it is for us. You just kick it open and walk in there. Amen. And you'll find out what I love. Read Romans 5, 1 and 2 in the Message Bible. That you come into the wide open spaces of grace. The place where God always wanted you to be. You're already there. You come into it by revelation. You see it finally. All right. Come on, y'all. So, now I'm going down here. I mean, this is great, isn't it? I haven't really talked about this in a long time, but for, for years ago, you know, maybe, you know, 15 or so years ago, I think I, I preached on grace for six months. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember that because it was during that time that God began to speak to me. And I got so much pushback from people on it. Oh, Byron, if, you, if it's grace and we don't do nothing, or you, you're saying we can sin, like, I didn't say any of that. You said that. I didn't say that. God's will is done. I mean, we're not going to sin. The only way you're going to overcome your sin in, in this life is through the grace of God. You know, that's Romans uh, Titus 2, 11 and 12. It says, the grace of God has appeared to all men. That's what it says. To all men, grace has appeared, y'all. It's all on the rise. It's like the sun rises every morning. To all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness. That's what it does if we allow it to be a teacher. Teach us. Yeah. And I'll admit, that's a lifetime learning. I mean, that ain't no instant learning. But you can stop fighting sin and start believing in grace and start letting the grace of God work in you. But it is like the sun that has risen. Sometimes we miss the sun. Sometimes the sun's behind the cloud, but it's still there. You know, and still doing what it's supposed to do. And you take it away, you'll find out, you know, within a, about a minute or two, you're doomed. And God took his grace away from the world. The whole world would collapse because the whole world is being held up by common grace right this second. Common grace shown to all mankind, the whole mankind. But God wants to teach us how to deny godliness and live a holy life. Live a perfect life. Live a life that's pleasing to God. And grace is right there saying, I'll tell you how to do it. And I'll help you do it because I'm not just going to tell you to do something. I'm going to give you power to do it because grace really is a power. It's It's a wonderful power. And many definitions of grace, one of them that is a good one, is the grace is the power of God to be and to do everything God called you to be and everything God called you to do. That's what it is. And all we got to come to is the end of ourselves and say, I can't do it, Lord. I can't live this Christian life. I can't do what the Bible tells me to do. I just can't. It's impossible. And when we come to that in a true sense to him, he says, good, I can do it in you if you'll just let me. That's why the Bible says, let this mind be. And let's a big word in God's world. It's all about letting. Just let. And he'll do it. And it ain't always fun, but it works. I'll tell you that. Amen? Well, that's my little spill on grace. Because I want to talk to you about being lukewarm just for a second. What does it really mean? Because that's the, that's the clicker there. Because that's one thing he says, I'm not interested in you being lukewarm. I don't want you to be lukewarm. Lukewarm is not, doesn't make Jesus happy because he says it's like that nasty water that y'all have. It, it'll make you sick. It's dirty, and it's lukewarm. It tastes bad. And that's what he was saying to these people. So, I think I may have said, you know, lukewarm, obviously, in the natural is a mix between hot water and cold water, right? Uh, And and what Jesus is talking about here is a mix between law and grace. Oh, Lord, y'all are in trouble. Even the the best grace revelation person in this room, you're still in trouble. Because we're all walking in a little mixture. Don't you think we are? Our words give us away at times. Our words betray us at times. Some of us just by ignorance, you know. Sometimes it's because we really believe something that betrays that there's still some legalism hidden down in our hearts. I know there has been in mine. I've spent years. I've everybody on this planet is influenced by a religious spirit. Everybody. I don't care who you are. You say you're free from it. You're foolish. You're deceived. You're not free from it. That's one of the most powerful spirits they are. I mean, that really is like the devil's number one uh, guy. Let me read this right here to you. Uh, I love this verse here. Are y'all doing good this morning? Is the Lord speaking to anybody in this room? Good for y'all. Mark chapter 2, verse 21 and 22, a very well-known verse that we've applied certain ways, which I think is amazing, but the real application is about law and grace. This is what Jesus says. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Or else the new piece pulls away from the old. And the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Or else the new wine bursts the wine skin, The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Well, If you're like a Pentecostal or a charismatic person, like I hope you are, or you're feeling really uncomfortable, (laughs) I was telling Biggie this morning, I just, you know, there's a lot wrong with Pentecostalism and charismatic. There's a lot wrong, but one thing that's really cool about it is they go after it. They ain't sitting around waiting on something to dump into their lap. And sometimes we don't go after it well, we mess up but I would rather go after it and just daggone fail at it than sit around and think that something's just going to automatically happen. You know, I'm not into this thing of being passive. You know, he's not going to have to fuss at me about being passive. He's going to have to fuss at me about some other things. So that's why we've always used that verse about the Holy Ghost, right? Oh, you can't put the Holy Ghost in that. He ain't going to go with that, that kind of church, and it's the truth because he, he's not in the destroying churches or people. So the application's beautiful. But really, if you go back and read the context, it has nothing to do with the outpoured spirit. It has everything to do with law and grace. It has everything to do with the, with the Old Testament versus the New Testament. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying to you? See, Jesus already, already revealed this thought when he was here about mixture, okay? Uh, he's basically saying on that, uh, if you take my new way, the way of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, and I tr- try to attach that, try to fix this old covenant thing, that hasn't worked, that nobody could do, nobody could fit. What it's going to do, is going to make it worse. That's what he was saying. You can't do that. Or you you will destroy. If I take the new covenant of grace and mix it into this old covenant wineskin, everything's going to be lost. It's going to lose its effect. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying to you? If you mix the old with the new, guess what you get? You get the old covenant no longer works. It no longer drives a person to their knees. It no longer reveals to a person their desperate need of Christ. Are y'all following that? That's why he said, I don't like this Luke 1 thing. Because suddenly you don't sense your desperate need of Christ. And you don't really know how to flow in grace. Neither one word. It nullifies the power of the grace of the new covenant. And it nullifies the power of the grace or the the law of the Old Testament. That's why he said, I had to spit that out. Because it doesn't work. Are y'all following this? Yeah, there's a word called, and this is, I'm not trying to be fancy with words. Because y'all know me, right? I could never be accused of being fancy with words. Um, you know, um, there's this word it's called, somewhere I wrote it down, come on baby, it's in here, it's in here, I know it's in here, I don't really use notes well, y'all, by the way, uh, this is it here, I know it's in here, y'all just hang on, Uh huh. okay, is everybody good? Yeah, is everybody happy? Yeah, yep. Yeah, I didn't write that word down. Hmm. <laughs> God has made it disappear. The word means it's a it's a Greek word. It was originally used as syncretism, synchronism, synchronism. I think is the word syncretism. Yeah, you're smart, Paula. It's mixture. And the word was originally applied back, it was a military term. That was the origin of this word. Where two militaries would join together. They would mix together to go fight a greater battle, a greater enemy. You hear what I'm saying? And Jesus was saying, as far as the truth is concerned, you can never mix it. You can't mix the old and the new. Because if you do, you lose the power of both. Isn't that powerful? Oh, let me just, let's see. Yeah, let me read this verse here. Because I I love this verse. This is a powerful verse in my life that I've used. Not just talking about the law of God, but just about many things. Uh, His Hebrews 10 verse 9. says, he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. Let me explain what that means. You need to know what that means. It means I have come to fulfill the law. I have come to fulfill the demands of the law. Christ fulfilled every demand of the law. He came to do that. And then it says this amazing thing. He takes away the first, listen, y'all, that he may establish the second. He takes away the old because he has fulfilled the old. And now he's establishing the new. And God operates on that principle through eternity. He didn't say the old was bad. In fact, I think Romans 7 and... Paul says the law is good. The law is holy. And he says it again in Timothy. That the law is a good thing. Why is it good? Because it reveals to us our need of Christ. And when it, So the law is not for the believer. The law is for the unbeliever. To bring them to their knees. To bring them to see their great need of Christ. And that's why Paul said it's holy. Because it's, it's doing something amazing. It's helping us all to see and for believers, it helps us to see, you know, our, how weak we are, how unstable we are, and how no matter the best of us, we need Christ. We need to abide in Him and let the life flow from Him into us. I think this is just pretty amazing. Tony, thank you. Listen to this. I wrote this down. Be careful about what people call Balance. You hear me? Be careful because it really may be mixture. That doesn't mean there's never balance on stuff. But I'll tell you something. Lots of times, what we call balance really is mixture. People are a lot, people, are, when you really start diving into the grace of God, people get afraid of it because they think hey, it's going to give everybody permission to sin. And so, the law. The law brings condemnation, y'all. That's what it does. It brings, it condemns us. But grace gives us life. And that we can't mix those two because when we mix, there's no going to be no condemnation, but not for the right reason. And there's not going to be any life. And that's really the truth. Let me read this. Uh, Because you say, isn't that interesting that Jesus said that? Because you say, see, out of their they condemn themselves out of their own mouths. This is what the this is the lukewarm water of lukewarmness. I am rich, I've become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. I have need of nothing. That's that's lukewarmness. That's happens to us. I have need of nothing. I'm rich. I've become wealthy, and Jesus said, "Don't you know? You're wretched. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind, and you're naked. That's that's your real state." So we have these. Remember that thing, the emperor's thing, what was it? Emperor's new clothes. This old crazy guy walking around naked, thinking he had clothes on. Yeah, and that's really really what Jesus was saying. You, you don't know that, but you're naked, man. You're wretched. Do you think you're awesome because you're so successful? You're successful in yourself, and you think that really matters eternally? Do you think on your deathbed that's going to really matter? It's not. It's not going to matter. I've read these things about hospice about what people talk about their, their great regrets I've not read one, one regret from any dying person like I wish I'd have worked harder I wish I'd have made more money I wish I'd have been more successful no I wish I would have took better care of my family I wish I'd have loved my wife more I wish I would have made sure my friends were okay That's, those are the true riches those are a person who's connected to Christ now let me make it really clear y'all Jesus is not condemning riches, success, or any of those things. Let's don't be idiots here and swing over, to the, over into the law. Jesus wants people to be rich. He wants them to be successful. He just doesn't want them to depend on that. He doesn't want us to get our identity from that. Here's something Rhonda told Becky, Rhonda Baumgartner. Lord bless her. She was talking about Joe Gibbs, the guy who owns the race and, you know, he was a coach. I was thinking, well, that guy, I wish he'd give me some of his money. He's rich. She says, not really. He's not rich. He's not wealthy. You know why? He's giving it all away. He gives his money away. When he sees poor people, he helps them. You know, his wealth is God's wealth. It flows through him. So, you know, if you're feeling, you know, if you're wealthy this morning or or headed that way or want to be that way and it's a godly desire, go for it. You know, but just don't let that be who you are. Let who you are come from him. Or wealth, we can say wealth, we can say any of this. What Name it, your looks. Uh, get every preacher in the world that's got an anointing that can preach well. Is that what your identity is? What are you going to do when you quit being able to preach? Pretty girl, what are you going to do when you get to be an old woman with wrinkles? Get Botox. Yeah, you might need to. Help us. But you see what I'm saying? All those pretty girls, are I like pretty girls. Well, Becky's pretty, okay? I I like a pretty girl. One. One girl. Just to make it clear. All right? Because I want to stay alive after this. I don't want to die. She doesn't get Botox. She don't need Botox. But if you get Botox, I'm good with it. Whatever you want to do, just don't get your identity. i got to quit this (laughs) before I get time. In the Laodicean's own words, we hear the lukewarm lukewarm drink of arrogance, self-assurance, and independent thinking that mixture creates. Jesus can't drink that. He can't handle that. That's why he says... I'm going to spit you out on the mountain. Listen, it says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So the question is, see, these are the things, the gold and the garments, that was all the stuff that they had going, the ISAV, and he's using that. How do we buy from Jesus? I, for years, like, well, how do I get this? I want this ISAB. I really do, what I want this so bad. Tell me how to do it, Lord, and I'll buy it. I had a funny feeling money wouldn't buy it. Here's what the truth is. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in your efforts. Stop trying to please him. Trust him. Trust his efforts. Trust what he has done. That's how you get it all. You get it all like that. You don't get it. You get it all. You get the garments. You get the eyes You get everything. You get the true riches. Because you're trusting him. Trusting in his finished work. Trusting in what he has done. And you stop trying to be a good Christian. And you let the best Christian there ever was. And ever will be. Live his life through you. And you will exceed. Your life will do more than you ever thought you would. It takes surrender to do this. It takes brokenness to do this. You know. And that's really that. The Lord loved the lay of of decisions. That's what he said. I love you. I love you. That's why I'm I'm coming after you so hard. Because he loved them. He said, I want you to know I love you. I want you to know I love you. They were a true church. They were real believers. But somewhere along the line, they got mixed up and started doing all this self-effort stuff. And it got them into a mess. And that's why he said this. And so, you know, I think the Lord wants us to be on fire for him. I do. I love the fire. I want that. But I don't want to try to produce it. I don't want to be the guy that's got to... Because here's the truth, y'all. If you produce it yourself, you've got to keep producing it. It's like I've told people before. If I had to talk you into coming to this church, I'm going to have to talk you into staying. I'm not doing either. You decide what God wants you to do and go from there. I am not going to do that. And that's the way this thing works. If we'll allow the energy of God the life of God, the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us, then we will live the life that he destined for us. We really will, y'all. I wanted to read this. I, don't, I didn't put these scriptures out there, but I love this. I'm just going to read uh, two very beautiful scriptures, uh, Rome, uh, Ephesians 2.8. It says, for by grace, let's change that word grace to divine power. Just for a second. For divine, by divine power you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself; it is the gift of God, the gift of God. He's just talking about salvation. It's the gift that keeps on giving. And the other one that I love, whoo, and and some of us need to jump on this one. It says, "Let us there. Let us this, Hebrews four sixteen. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne." Of power. Let us come boldly to the throne of power. That we may obtain mercy. And find power. To help in time of need. Isn't that beautiful? Go through your New Testament. Sometimes. Every time you see that word grace. Pull it out. And say divine power. Or you could say this. You want to make it more complete? Divine power. And and divine love Put them in there And it'll make a difference Because We've made grace something Sometimes that it's really not meant to be It Seems like a kind thing It is all that but it's a power It is An absolute radical Radical power Of God that's how the Holy Spirit's Power is released into us Is through the grace of God that's how his power comes up. It's his grace. It's radical, and it takes no prisoners. You know, you're you know, when the power of God comes, when the grace of God comes, you can have it. If you don't want it, he'll come back later and see if you do. Like, oh, you need to work a little harder on being earning this now. and Maybe you'll be a little tired or a little more wore down. I'll come back and see you later once you're wore down. And then when you finally give, I give, Lord. <laughs> hey, there was a movie one time with Clint Eastwood. How many people like Clint Eastwood? Well, I love Clint Eastwood. You know, Dirty Harry and all those things, big old pistol. And Well, he was in this movie where there was this orang- he had this orangutan. <laughs> and he was like a fighter, a street fighter. And the whole movie is about him going through fighting people and beating them up. And it was kind of a semi-organized street fight thing. Well, he had just fought the baddest guy there ever was, okay, and beat the dude. and like, you know, So he was the world champion street fighter. And so he left, him and his friend left, and he runs into this up-and-coming guy that wants to fight him. You know, so he said, okay, we'll fight. And this was a younger guy, less experienced. He would have killed the guy if he fought him. The guy punched him, and he hits the ground. The guy goes off thinking, oh, I'm beat the best there is. And as soon as he's outside, he just jumps up. He was faking it. He took a dive. He just said, I just really didn't feel like messing with it. You know? And sometimes we just need to do that with the Lord. Instead of fighting him on stuff, instead of trying to prove something, trying to fight him about his will, fight him about this, fight him about that, he just, I'm down, man. <laughs> I, he's a knock me down. I ain't I'm done. I think sometimes we need to do that. It's just surrender and let the grace of God begin to do what it needs to do in our life. Quit fighting. Amen. All righty, let's, let's get up and stand up and we're going. Five minutes, to 12, y'all thank me for ending soon. <laughs> yes. Yes and amen. Don't you love the Lord? Though? Come on, y'all. Tell me. Do you really love the Lord? Is yes. not God the best thing ever? <laughs> I mean, really and truly, when you step back and think about it, He is the best thing that ever happened. I love God. I love what He has done for me. He saved my heart. And he saved me. He delivered me from all kinds of insanity. You would not believe it. If I told you some of the stuff I was involved in and weren't involved in, you would hate me. You would say, you do not deserve to be a pastor. In fact, you don't even deserve to be a Christian. I didn't, and I don't. <laughs> I get that. But God saved me and brought me into his kingdom and welcomed me into his house and told me, Byron, you belong. And there's a table, there's a table at his house. He said, look at this table. Look at that seat. Whose name's on it? Your name's on it. Nobody sits at that table except you. You have your place. Everybody in this room, there's a name on your chair in the kingdom. And God says it's reserved only for you. Only you can have that place. God just so much loves us. Becky and I were talking this morning. I'm going back to 12 again. (laughs) We were talking about about how this whole thing played out through the Old Testament and how God was preserving the seed, being Christ, all through the Old Testament, right from the very beginning. He had a seed that he was protecting, right from the very beginning. And he wanted to make sure that seed made it to the time and that seed was Christ. It was for the salvation of the world. And I said to Becky, it would just have been a little nicer if he had done it early on right, just let's just go ahead and settle this and spend, spend hundreds of years of people dying and being sent to Hades, okay, the place of the dead that Jesus went to and offered them out, <laughs> just in case you was wondering. <laughs> but then I thought, well, you know why God did it, I think, why he did that? Because he loves us so much, and he says, I gotta have more of you i got to have generations and generations of people that I can lavish my love on. So I'm going to extend this thing further and further out. And I'm going to take care of all those people. If they really want me and they want to experience my love, I'm going to go when my son comes. He's going to go down there into the place of the dead, not hell. Y'all, there's a difference, right? Y'all know that, right? There's hell and there's Hades. they are different places. He said, I'm going to go down into Hades and offer everybody who's stuck there in the place of dead, including the righteous dead, but they were in a different, different place, a place called Paradise or Abraham's bosom. I'm, I'm going too far with this. <laughs> but that's the way this deal works. Hell is reserved for the devil, and God doesn't want nobody to go to hell. He offers, even the, in the place of dead, he went and offered those people a chance. He led captivity captive. Gave them a chance Like you can come out of here If you want to But you got to believe me You got to trust me You know And I don't know who came out But there are those fallen angels That are still locked in there That will go into hell For sure They're going I think that's right Amen Amen. Do y'all get that But that just tells me How good God is And how God wants us And wants to love on us And just lavish on us That's what it does Okay, I hope you believe that. Lord, we just ask you right now in the name of Jesus. I pray for every person in this room. All of us need a greater revelation of your grace, a greater revelation of your peace, of your kindness, Lord, of your love. Lord, we just need more of you, Lord. We need more, God. You mean We need more revelation of what we have in Christ, of what Christ has already put in us, the treasure that we're carrying around inside of us, Lord. I just pray for all of us, Lord. We would just begin to see something different and believe something different from today. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just ask you for that. Let that anointing come down on your people.
1: I want to read a brief quote before we go. Surrender is not necessarily giving something up, it is giving it to God and letting Him bring it to its best conclusion. That's Janelle Logan. So, ministry team, if you'd come forward, maybe there's something you need to give to God and allow him to bring it to its best conclusion. Not something that you're sitting on trying to make it work out however you think it should work out, but allowing God to do that. I think that's grace. Yeah. And if there's anybody that needs to come and meet this God that we're talking about, anybody that needs to surrender their lives and their selves trying to do it in their own strength and to step into allowing God to live through you, please come forward. We have people here that would love to pray with you. If you need healing, if you need a word of encouragement, we have people to prophesy and pray for healing. So we invite you to come. And uh, parents, please remember to pick up your children and be blessed. We love you. Have a good week.